29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles. He sat at his right hand. His own eyes saw Jesus transfigured. The very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. John 9 for me has been interesting. I, uh, I, was, I finished the lesson and I was, it was all done. I was ready to go and then I was heading to Arizona for four days to just get some time away, uh, just to get a break and uh, golf a little bit, getting some sun, just my wife and I. Uh, first vacation for just the two of us together since I had sold our business. Um, and so for Susie, it was an interesting time. She didn't really know who was coming on that vacation. So, cause uh, all those years, 32 years of owning a company, it was usually working bill, not relaxed bill. And so she was kind of like, well, I wonder who's gonna show up. Um, I was relaxed, but I did get on the plane with some stress, and the stress came from John 9. As I had written the lesson, I couldn't get out of my head. Why am I blind, God? Show me my blind spots. What am I not seeing? And it was pressing on me. And you know, when you write these lessons and you prepare this stuff, the guy that does all this work gets punished the most. So it's like God's just sitting in your head all week long talking to you. And honestly, I took it that way. I could hear him in my head saying, you're blind, man. There's something you're not seeing and you need to see. And uh, so I got on that plane with that in my head and I just sat in my seat as we took off and I just sat there with my eyes closed and prayed, said, Lord, if you don't do anything in the next four days, help me see what I'm not seeing. I just wanna see what you're seeing that I can't see. And it didn't take long. It honestly didn't. He, That is exactly what I said to him. <laughs> like, that's crazy weird, wasn't it? I didn't understand that. That was exactly what happened. I'm like, yes, <laughs> thank you. Whoever just played that. Because that was my, that was exactly what I felt like. I literally was like, God, I don't want to know the answer to this question. I really didn't. I was like, when he put that, in, what he put in my head, I'm like, I don't really want to fix my character anymore. Have you had that experience with Jesus where you're just like, you know what? I've worked hard to get better and I just don't need something else, God. And why do you got to show me another place where I'm not really measuring up? And I just didn't want to know. I didn't want to work on something else. I don't want to fix something else. I don't want to have something else that I got to look at and go, I'm something wrong with me, you know? I just didn't want to hear that. But God's like, you need to hear this, Bill. And what it is, is your mind lives in a place of being critical. You see life through a critical lens. And that was all he had to say. And I was like, okay, show me. And it was like, watch the first person that walks by what you say in your head. And it was literally, oh my God, how could she be that overweight? Like literally, that's what went through my head. And I was like, okay, there's that one. And then it was like, can he be that stupid? Oop, there we go. And then I get on the golf course, I meet a guy. First minute I meet him, I look and I'm like, I can't believe those are the socks you're wearing today. <laughs> and then I put, he guy tees off and the first thing I'm like is you cannot possibly be a golfer. Right? Like this is what's going through my head 
all day long. And then I start watching my conversation with my wife. And of course, with that approach, where do you think my wife's gonna be when I'm that way, right? She's just mirroring me. And as we're dissecting people and situations with this critical mindset, I'm just watching what should be a really good experience where I'm looking at mountains, man, like this place is stinking gorgeous, right? And I'm staying in a nice place and the pool's beautiful and the golf course is stunning and my wife looks great and it's awesome and I'm not seeing any of that because all I'm doing is filtering everything through this mind of a critical lens and God's like, that's the problem. That is the problem, man. And it's gotta stop. And I was like, oh my God, thank you for letting me see that, but I didn't want to see it. So I told my wife, I said, Suze, we're, we're me. I'm causing us to look at life through a critical lens and I'm seeing a lot of the men that I'm with doing that too. And there's a lot of us with this suspicious, cynical, critical mindset and, and we're not seeing the good because our minds are on that. And we can't be that way, huh? Like we're, we, we're, we're gonna miss this vacation. And we literally said, okay, when the first one says something like that, we say to the other one, what's the good? What's the good? What's the good? So that was our theme of that four days was, what's the good? And we really pushed ourselves to get there. We failed a few times. We went to a wedding and, you know, there's a lot to say about weddings sometimes. <laughs> and we did. So, but think about John 9, you guys. In John 9, Jesus reveals the blindness of men with perfect eyesight. Their blindness was rooted in their heart. They were blind to the disabled man. They were blind to the deity of Jesus and they were blind to their own emotions. I'm gonna take 15 minutes and talk about all three of those, you guys. And what I'm hoping for in this time frame is that you'll do what I did and you'll stop right now and say, give me 15 minutes, Lord, and I will listen so you'll show me where I'm blind so that I can see. Let's pray, guys, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. Lord, thanks for opening my eyes. I know you love me and I know you love who I am and I know you want me to see the things that I don't see because it will help me love you, enjoy life so much more. It's not a punishment, it's a blessing, Lord, so thank you. Lord, I pray for these dear brothers that they see something that they didn't see when they walked in here that you want them to see. Lord, help me not get in the way of that in any way, Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit speak. And Lord, help those phones not speak for you either. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Guys, the Pharisees were blind to the needs of the disabled. Jesus saw a blind man and the Pharisees saw a sinner. In verse 34, not only they said, you're steeped in sin since birth. That's how they saw this man. And they thought all disabled people, all disabled people were filthy sinners. That was their view of disability. And Jesus didn't see that at all. He knew that man's value, why? Because he knew him from birth. In Psalm 139, David says these words, and this is Jesus doing the work. You, he's talking about Jesus, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So before the birth of the baby, the blind boy, God, Jesus' hands were all over him before he was born. He, his sin was not the problem. It wasn't it at all, and Jesus knew that. Jesus, in fact, said, so the works of God could be displayed in his life. This man was blind. 
all those years. And what ended up happening? This man becomes saved. This story is written in the scriptures and millions, millions of people have been saved because of that man's story. That's an amazing thing to know that my story is going to be written in the book and millions of people are going to read it and their lives are going to be changed because of it. That's what Jesus knew about this guy. That was his value. Jesus saw that kind of value in this guy. And he knew that God has a plan for every believer. Jesus knows that. He knows that about you, Romans 8. All things are done for your good. All things will be worked out for your good. And guys, just because we don't know doesn't mean it doesn't have value. And that's what Jesus is saying in this text, isn't it? That that baby boy, when he was blind in his mother's womb, was assigned value by Jesus long before he was born. Not by you. Not by you. Not by us. The baby in the womb is not given value by you. It's given by Jesus. He's the creator. Guys, examples of how we disregard the disabled show up in abortion right now. Abortion of the unwanted. People call them unwanted pregnancies. Tell a person who's got a Down syndrome child that that baby was unwanted. They're some of the most loving, caring kids on the planet, and people absolutely love their children who have Down syndrome. But if you go to your doctors, now they'll test for that and say, hey, you should maybe consider abortion, right? Just because it's not your plan doesn't mean it's right. Unwanted pregnancy doesn't mean an unwanted child. That's not what it means, you guys. So this is an area where we as men look at what's going on in the country right now. And we say this Roe v. Wade thing's a political thing. It's not a political thing at all. This is about life. God defined life. God picked what you would be in the womb. He said there's value in that child, not you. And just because you got involved in the pregnancy and just because you're carrying the baby certainly doesn't give you the right to kill the child. God defined the value of the baby. This is how we look at disabled. It's no different these Pharisees saying, sinner, sinner from the beginning because he's disabled. It's what's the difference? Assigning value or not assigning value in the womb is not yours to do. It's just not yours to do, right? And so you may be thinking, boy, Bill's being political. I'm not. I'm telling you guys, this story talks about Jesus assigning value to a man. And these guys said that man at birth was steeped in sin. And Jesus said, no, he wasn't. He was built for a purpose a long time ago, just like every one of you are, and just like every child that's not born will be. Every child matters. I was at dinner with a guy who was a customer one year, and he was a Frenchman, and we're having sangria. I remember it like it was yesterday. We're in Philadelphia. He invited someone that worked for him. It was a lady. And they started arguing over abortion. And they're my customer. So I just sort of sat back and pushed my chair back a little and thought, well, I better step out of this conversation because they're going to get in an argument. I'm going to get in the crosshairs of this thing. This isn't going to go well. So I just backed up. She took a strong position for abortion. He ultimately ends the conversation with one comment. He looks her in the eye. She works for him, by the way, and says, my wife, wanted, my mom wanted to abort me. And she told me numerous times she wanted to abort me. I'm pretty darn glad she didn't. I started crying. This girl just put her head down and said, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. Guys, that's what everybody says that finds out that they were supposed to be aborted. Thank God she didn't. So gentlemen, this is a place where we take the scripture seriously and we say, you know what? Christian men don't kill babies. 
We just don't do that. So, and if this is a place that gets you frustrated and you say, boy, I, this is political, you know, it's not for me. It's not for me. I've been on the other side of this and I can tell you right now, there's nothing right about this. This is a place God owns. God owns unborn children. He makes them, he builds them, he designs them and he assigns them purpose. This is not our space. We're in a place we don't belong. That's, this is God's guys. How do you feel about unborn children and abortion? You should challenge yourself to really think through this right now because now is the time when we need to speak up. The second thing we see, the Pharisees were blind to the deity of Jesus. Jesus did a miracle that has not been done yet today. I read an article and uh, uh, it was written by the University of Montreal in 2015. It said this, scientists have learned that in cases of untreatable blindness, the occipital cortex, that's the posterior part of the brain that is normally devoted to vision, becomes responsive to sound and touch in order to compensate for the loss of vision. And this is important, brain reorganization, because it helps people that can't see be able to see in other ways. But when they do reconstructive surgery on those eyes, that part of the brain can't adapt. So it's very difficult for that surgery to even be accomplished. While the eyes work, the, the visual cortex doesn't. Does this not tell you how powerful this miracle was? Jesus did something no one can do. He creates life where people can't. He can make cells come to life that never existed. That's what has to happen in the brain. Cells that didn't exist have to be created. Cells in the eyes have to be created. Only God can do that. This is a strong statement about his deity. I'm God, right? He's saying that loudly. And then he mimics what he did with Adam. Jesus made Adam, right? God said, let us make him in our image. Who was there? The Holy Spirit and Jesus, right? We learned that. John said in John chapter 1, in the beginning was God, and in the Word was with him, and the Word is God. That's Jesus. So who makes man? Man. The Son of Man makes man. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Jesus is like, hey, I did this before. Watch this. Put some mud. Yeah, I, done, I did that once before. His guy's name was Adam. I'm going to show you how that works. Spits in the dirt, puts his mud on the eyes, and sends him off to heal his eyes. This is a powerful statement. This is Jesus clearly stating, again, I healed a guy in a way nobody can, and I've just healed him in a way that nobody can. I'm God. Son that twice now. And then, on top of that, he fulfills prophecies from Psalm 146, Isaiah 34, and Isaiah 42, where it says, the Messiah will come and heal the blind. Clearly states that. And they're saying, no, 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 he's a warrior king. He says, no, 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 you didn't read the Bible. The one you have says, I will come and heal the blind. I just did it. So clearly the son of man who is, is who I am. So he's shown him three times now. Does it again, fourth. He heals a man that's blind and full of sin. If he's full of sin and he heals the man, he took away the man's sin. That's what they believed. He just did that. So he clearly shows them, I'm God again. I healed a sinner He's now not got sin. That is the only guy that can do that. That's God. I've done it four times. Now, let me go for a fifth. On the Sabbath, I come and I make dirt so that you can see me work. I'm going to work really hard on the Sabbath so you see it clearly. Last time I did it, I didn't work hard enough. And now I'm going to do it even worse. Why? So I want you to accuse me of working on the Sabbath. Why? Because only God works on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest for man. I'm not man. So I work on the Sabbath. Number five. And number six, the blind man is believing. In verse 24, he says, though I was blind, I can see. 
And Jesus says, the personal, of a, the, the personal testimony of a blind man cannot be negated. And what does he do? He moves from, he's a man. He's Lord. No, he's a prophet. No, he's the Messiah, God's son of man. And he falls on his face and he worships Jesus Christ. Only God can do that. No man can move a man along like that. In a moment of a conversation, to having fallen on his face and worship him as God. Jesus has proven in six ways to these men that he's God in a matter of minutes, and they don't believe him. They absolutely don't believe him. This is a powerful testimony, you God. Guys, Jesus is incredibly active in his words and in his actions every single day around you, proving you he's Jesus and he's God. He's constantly communicating to you in that way. So the question you got to ask is, why don't I see it? How am I not seeing it? And you know why you're not seeing it. You're too busy. You're too frustrated. You're too angry. You're too horny. You're too broke. You're just all of those things. You don't see the very Jesus that's standing right in front of you saying, look at me. I'm with you. I'm here with you. I love you. Look at your home and your family and your car and your food and your money. Like, what else do I got to do? What else does it need? What are you ignoring that Jesus is trying to tell you to prove to you that he is who he is? This is the same problem they had, and we have the exact same problem, you guys. And then the Pharisees are blind to their own emotions. Their own emotions are drowning them. This is called emotional blindness. In verse 41, Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees can't see they're wrong. What was causing that? My argument is fear. I think fear is driving their blindness. And I think it drives ours. What is the fear of? Fear of loss? Losing what? Control, power, money, prestige, position, homes, status. That's a big loss. They're afraid of that. And people, fear of what? What people? Fear of what people are going to say. Fear of how people are going to take what they have. Fear of people's opinions. Fear of people that are going to attack them. They're afraid. These men are afraid. They're emotionally afraid and they're blind to their own fear. They're blind to their own fear. And we all suffer from this kind of emotional blindness. And how do I know that? Because life coaching and counseling are booming in the United States right now. You just go try to find a life coach and a counselor. They're packed. These offices are packed. These careers are booming. Why? Because people need coaching and counseling. Why? Because they're blind to who they are. If you've ever played golf, you quickly figure out it's a doggone hard game. And if somebody doesn't watch you swing, you'll keep swinging and you'll get worse. Very rarely do guys get better just swinging on their own because it's very difficult to do. Somebody has to watch you. Guys, this is the same way it is with fear. It's very difficult to deal with your fear without somebody watching you and helping you see what fear is doing to your life. Common emotional blind spots for men. Here's four. I'm hoping you'll start thinking of some of your own. First, I'm convinced false is true. This is a common emotional blind spot for men. I'm convinced false is true. So I argue hard for my position. The people around me hear me argue hard. They know what I'm saying is wrong. I stand my ground. I stay firm. And what starts happening to a man that's like that? People stop sharing evidence that counters your opinion. That's what happens. 
And you know that. You've been around people like that. You've been around men that are, you see them, they got a hard stance, and you just go, I'm not even going to go talk to them anymore. I'm done sharing. I've tried to share stuff with him. He's just hard-headed. I'm not going to tell him anymore. Guys, this is common for men. We do this a lot. We stay with bad decisions. We stick with bad decisions. I've got a bad decision. I know it's bad. I don't want somebody to tell me it's bad because I've already decided that's what I'm going to do. Isn't it? This is a common emotional blind spot. Why? Why do I do that? Because I don't want to be corrected. I don't want to be told I'm wrong. I don't want to have somebody forcing me to do something I like to do, I want to do, I've already decided to do, right? This is what we do, guys. It's an emotional blind spot. And then what happens in that? What do people stop doing when they come tell you you're wrong? You know you're wrong and you don't change. What do people stop doing? They stop challenging you. They don't push on you because they're afraid of you. They're scared of you. Third one, critical mindset. This is one I'm good at suspicious and untrusting. I'll tell you more about that in a minute, how I got there, but you become suspicious and untrusting. I don't believe you. I'm not sure I trust you. I'm critical of everything, right? I don't, I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you say that. I'm not sure how you are. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't trust you. This is a common emotional blind spot for men, and we live in this suspicious mindset. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't think I can trust you with those things. You don't know what I know. Your data is not good enough. You're not smart. Your IQ isn't high enough. We go through all of this thing and we criticize and we tell other people. We attack and criticize other people to other people. And so what do the people around you do then? They don't trust you because they think you're going to criticize them. So then what happens? When people don't trust you, what do they do? They move away from you. So in all of these examples I'm describing to you, what are people doing when you're the way you are, when you have emotional blind spots? They're moving away from you. They're moving away from you. And here's the fourth one. This is a male one. Sexual needs. Men think they need sex. They're absolutely convinced it's critical to life. I must have it. But what's actually having is we're lonely and we're disconnected. And we've used and learned how to have sexual behavior make us feel connected and not lonely. But the fact of the matter is we're blind to the loneliness and, the, and lack of connection, and we're convinced that the sexuality is the need. That's the blind spot. And people get exploited all over the world for this in most incredible ways. This is probably one of the most egregious male blind spots in the world right now and has hurt millions of people over countless decades and still going on today. And it's equally harsh in the church as it is outside the church. The church man is no different than the unchurched man in this space. There's not a shred of data that shows anything other than that. In fact, in some places worse because we're programmed to hide it. What happens when people get exploited and porn runs rampant? Guys lose connection to their heart. They're blind to their emotions. So I'm asking you, what emotional blindness do you sense may be impacting your life right now? Where are the emotional blind spots you're seeing that are holding you back. You can't see them. You're saying, I can't see them. That's right, you can't see them. Let's talk about that some more. How do I change? To see our blindness, we've got to ask God to reveal it. You have to. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Guys, I'm telling you, God's saying, David's saying here, you have to pray this prayer. If you want to see your blind spots, you have to genuflect to God and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. 
And he will answer those prayers, and he does it in a number of ways. I'm going to give you five. One is he tells you to be born again. Some of you guys are not born again, and you think you are. You've grown up in the church, and you're spiritually blind to your death. You're spiritually blind that you're unsaved, and you're not saved. You bear no fruit. You have no evidence. There's nothing in you that shows a regeneration. There's no Holy Spirit inside of you, yet you think you are because you run around people that are. Just because you run around people that golf doesn't mean you're a golfer. God may say, ask someone close to you to show you what you don't see. This is the hardest one, especially for men that are married. Walk up to your wife and say, I, I, I prayed today that God would show me a place where I'm blind and he told me to ask you. You better sit down. You better sit down because she might be doggone straight with you, and she knows exactly where you are. She knows. And you've got friends like that in your life, too, for guys that aren't married. You've got friends that when you walk out of the room go, God, is he ever going to get it? Is he ever going to get it? It happens all the time, guys, all the time. And we sit in our heart groups, and we work on a lot of hard stuff, guys, and the most things I see is this is what we deal with. We're blind, and we cannot see. And we got a group of guys helping each other going, hey, can you see this? Can you see this? And the guy's going, I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see it. Ask someone to help you see it. You might be surprised. God will lead you to that person. Third, listen to the Bible, prayer, or sermons. Listen. Listen. When you answer, ask, when you pray, say, God, help me see. And he will bring those things to your sight in those places. The fourth place he does is in failures. Most guys want to blame somebody when they fail. Stop blaming people and start looking for what God allowed you to do in a failure. And sometimes the failure is big. Divorce. Your wife leaves you. Your job. You get fired. You go broke. Bankruptcy. Your car gets stolen. Right? I mean, bad things. Somebody dies in your life. There's failures in your life. And God works in those places in big ways. Instead of looking for a blame like the Pharisees did, they wanted to blame somebody. Jesus said, no, no, stop looking for the person. Start looking for the purpose. Look for the purpose in the failure. And fifth, God may push you to do something that makes you very afraid, deeply afraid. He may push you to do something you're deeply afraid to do. And in that time, don't run from the fear. Step into the task. And you'll be surprised in the fear. You'll find out that is the fear that I'm afraid of. And he's trying to help you face the fear by pushing you, making you more afraid. Fear is a place where God shows you what you're afraid of. My closing thoughts wrap around this. I learned my critical mind and heart when I was a little boy. I was four years old. My mom left. I lived with my grandma from four to nine. My mom came back when I was about nine and a half years old. My grandma was a sweet old lady, loved me like nobody did. She was good to me. I miss her a lot. She was kind to me and cared for me. And she spanked me and she taught me to read. She taught me how to do, uh, to do uh, math like no other. I was so good in math and engineering because my grandma, she taught me how to multiply and add. She was a good woman. I love my grandma, but my grandma didn't trust anybody. My grandma fought with her family. I watched them fight all the time. They were Italians. They fought like dogs and it was just constant vendettas in our family. I mean, it just never stopped. And then I always remember driving up and down Highway 3 in, in Lake City, Texas, looking for my grandpa, who my, mom, my grandma was convinced was sleeping with some other woman. That went on all the time. That's all, that's all I remember. And you know what the emotions were for me when all that was going on? Was fear and loneliness. That's all I could remember. I was afraid to death. I would just sit in the back seat, scared to death. 
was scared to death. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is she going to kill grandpa? Is she going to kill him? I mean, I scared me to death. And then I was lonely. It was a very lonely experience in that time. And so those two emotions produced in me stress, isolation, discouragement, and a need for results. All of those things that happened when I was a little boy drove that behavior in me as an adult. And it wasn't until God sent some pastors, friends, and counselors to help me start seeing those things that I started finding liberation from those emotions. But I had to identify the emotional blind spots, but I couldn't see it, the fear and the loneliness. I didn't know they were connected to that, and I didn't know how they were playing out in me until somebody helped me see that. And that's what we do in our heart groups, guys. We work to help each other. And that loving way that God helps you see that blind spot is a gift from God, you guys. A true gift, a powerful gift. And it's one you'll never, ever regret having. Jesus set the man free, the blind man free. And what did he get? He got to see Jesus with his eyes. That's what he got. He looked up and one of the first people he got to look at was Jesus right in the eyes. And he hugged him and he got close to him. That's what he got when he got freed of blindness. And he was no longer enslaved to the Pharisees. That got taken away. They were no longer in control of this man. He was liberated from a bondage of mean people that only wanted to control. And what else did he get? An entire community of Christians. Peter, John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. These were his friends. And that became his new community. Being freed from bondage is a good thing. It's a gift from God. It's something we don't deserve, you guys. That man got picked off the street. He got walked up and he chose him. And then when they kicked him out, he went and found him again. Jesus found him twice in this story. And that's what he does to you. Undeserved. You don't deserve the gift. It's not yours. It's his. It's a gift. He gives it to you. And that's what we call grace. That's what grace is. God is hoping you'll ask him to heal you of his bl your blindness tonight. We're going to sing a song together now. Ken's going to come up and lead us. John Newton wrote this song. He was abandoned at age seven. He lived on slave trading ships most of his young career, and he was raised by sailors who, if you know anything about sailors, are a bit of a mess. Storm scared him one night, and he came to Christ. Years later, he cried out to Jesus and said, thank you for saving me, and he wrote the, the, the hymn Amazing Grace. And in that, he said, I was blind, but now I see. And that's the beauty of this song, guys, is it talks about men like us who can say, man, God, I'm blind. I'm blind. And I desperately need you to help me see. And God's like, I got that. Just ask. I hope tonight God's opened your eyes and you've seen one thing that tomorrow you'll say, Lord, I'm going to go chase that with a desire and a passion to be the kind of guy that you will want me to be, not out of guilt, but because I'm going to live something gloriously better. My life tomorrow is going to be better because you've helped me see something that I did not see. Let me close this with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for that beautiful voice you gave Ken and the passion in his heart. Lord, it was so good for my soul. Thank you for these precious brothers and that blind man that you healed. I don't know his name, but I can't wait to meet him, Jesus. Thank you for doing that. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great night, guys. I love you guys. Awesome night.